has just come in. And um, yeah, just wanting to, to welcome you to Virtual Lunch and Learn. We'll continue to do this through the month of April. And uh, we are looking this month at, um, at our, our responses in this season. What does it look like in a global pandemic? Uh, today, Joel is gonna talk to us about rejoicing. So uh, welcome Joel Miles, uh, pastor at Holy Trinity Church downtown. That, that, Sally started clapping, but he was on mute, which I'm sure was intentional. Um, uh, yeah, hey, hey everyone. It is uh, odd to try to do these things in Zoom. Um, I mentioned when we did the Burnham thing uh, that there's so many like awkward social things about it. Just that like when you first arrive, everyone arrives in this like big group gathering. And so it's hard to have like any kind of conversation other than just talking to everyone, which is a bit odd. And then also all of my jokes are gonna seem like they fall flat, but I know in my heart that they're hilarious <laughs> laughing with mute on. So I'm well aware of that. So don't worry, my ego will still be intact at the end of this. Um, yeah, so I, I, I wanna pray in a moment, but just, just to in introduce the topic, uh, I wanna talk about what does it mean to rejoice right now? Um, so probably in an hour or two, uh, after this, we'll we'll publish a blog uh, on Holy Trinity Downtown's website uh, that I wrote on essentially the question is, is it possible to rejoice in the midst of all this loss, in the midst of all this fear, in the midst of all this anxiety, uh, in the midst of everything that's happening right now in light of the, the pandemic, can we still rejoice um, and, and why would we? Uh, I, I do think it is a distinctive mark of Christians that we need to be able to, in these kind of situations, actually rejoice. And I think that that's, that's not just an ethical thing that we're supposed to do. It, it is a, it's a missional, it's a missional call uh, that uh, we as Christians, and we've talked about this before at Lunch and Learn, uh, but we've talked about it a lot in Burnham recently of just that we are to embody the gospel um, or as my, favorite theologian of all time, put it, we, that we need to be the hermeneutic of the gospel, uh, which what he means by that is basically that, that the congregation, the church needs to be a group of people that live as if they actually believe the gospel is true. Um, and what would that look like right now? Well, it would, it would actually look like still being able to rejoice. Does it mean that you can't grieve or mourn what's happened, but we are to rejoice? So that's what I want to talk about uh, and then have, have a discussion around that. So in terms of what's best part for discussion, if you go down and you click on, see if I can, click on participants, if you click on where participants is, it will give you a list of everyone, including yourself. And if you look at the very bottom, it says mute me or raise hand. So if you do have a question, you can click on raise hand and hopefully one of us will see it. Um, uh, but I'm gonna kind of do a little bit of a, of a talk and lecture and I will open up for questions. If you have a question in the middle of it, I'm, I'm happy to try to, to try to answer it. I might just miss it because it's difficult to like bounce back and forth between my notes and you guys, since I'm using the same device to look at my notes and talk to you guys. So I'll do my best to answer questions as we go along, but I will try to save time at the end to answer any questions that, that, that you have. So, um, but let, let, let me pray first. And then we can uh, begin by, talk, by talking about this. So, uh, yeah, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you love us. Lord, thank you that you 
say in your word that we are to cast all our anxieties upon you because you care for us. I pray that we would do that. And I pray, God, that you would graciously allow us to know you more and more. And Lord, in the midst of this really confusing and difficult situation right now, Lord, I ask that you would use this time to actually drive us back to you. And I ask that because of that, we would be able to rejoice because we would see what we have in you. Um, yeah, may, may, may you do that. And I, I ask right now, God, that uh, despite the limitations, it feels like by speaking through, through Zoom or um, the limitations I feel like I have with the fact that my kids might walk in here in the middle of the stock, uh, God, that you would graciously use me to help lead us toward you. Um, yeah, for your, for your glory and yours alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, yeah, so that was also me prefacing in the prayer that there is a very good chance that one or two or four children will walk in here and talk to me while I'm talking. My wife worked overnight last night, so she is asleep right now. So I am also taking care of, or lack thereof, taking care of my kids as, uh, as, I, as I talk. So just be aware of that if a kid walks in, you can yell at them and that'll probably be really intimidating and they'll go back to doing what they were doing. So, okay. So um, I want to begin just by, by reading from Philippians 4.4. 4. Uh, it's really interesting. So I want to read 4.4 4 and 4.5, but Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. It's fascinating to me that Paul puts those statements right next to one another that actually rejoicing the Lord always is attached in some way in Paul's mind to actually displaying our reasonableness as followers of Jesus Christ. Um, That if we are those who are not rejoicing in some kind of way, we are displaying an unreasonableness. And I I think that's, that's, Gushan asked why, why would Paul even put those together? So when you think about the book of, of Philippians and what is going on in the book, uh, even though we often, the, the, the book is kind of lauded as being like the, the book that's about joy, it's about rejoicing, and it seems way more upbeat, especially compared to Galatians or 1 Corinthians. While that's true, it actually seems that the church that Paul is writing to is not doing well, that they're actually struggling a lot. Um, and that's the reason why Paul actually writes with this upbeatness and talking about rejoicing, because what they are doing is they're despairing. So Paul is actually upbeat and he's excited in so many ways because he's trying to show them and push them to have that same kind of uh, attitude or, or, um, or disposition. The reason why he seems to do this is contrary to like Galatians um, or in Corinth. So in Corinth, the problem is division. That's really what's, what, what's going on. They, they, they are dividing with one another and they're way more concerned about their gifts than they are with loving other people. Okay. In, in Galatia, it's also kind of division, but in, in, in Galatia, their problem is that they're actually turning the gospel into something about you earn, all right? So that's their problem. So Paul is like, what are you doing? You're giving up the gospel. In Philippi, what seems to be going on is they are despairing because they're going through so much and they don't know how to handle it. And they're looking at their leader, the one who planted the church in Philippi, and he's in prison. So they're actually thinking, okay, we, we have committed to following the one who's supposed to be the king of the universe and who says he loves us. 
It's not just that we're on the right side. We're supposed to be on the right side of the one who loves us. And yet it seems that because we've done this, because we're trying to follow his ways, everything's gotten way worse and way harder. And look at the guy that we follow. He's in prison. So they are despairing and in many ways probably questioning, like, what are we doing? Was this the right thing to do? Does God really love us? Okay, and th this then makes sense of what Paul is, is doing, where he actually, if you think about the, the beginning of the letters to the Philippians, so I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So that they feel as if something's wrong, as if they're going to lose it. And Paul's like, I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful that you're partnering with me in what's going on, which you'll get into basically means because they're also suffering. And he's saying, don't lose heart. Don't feel like you're, you're, you're actually going to slip away. God is with you. God is going to carry you through. And so what Paul is actually doing throughout the letter to the Philippians is he's trying to help them understand what does it mean when we as Christians go through incredibly difficult times? How are we to respond to it? And what Paul will actually say is you rejoice. You, you rejoice in the Lord and it kind of moves to this somewhat climactic moment. Not really the climax. The climax is essentially chapter two when he does this amazing poem of, about Jesus. But to this call to rejoice in the Lord always, again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The reason why those two then are linked together is because what, what Paul is actually saying is, listen, suffering as a Christian actually makes you participate in what the gospel gives you. You are imitating Jesus. You are looking forward to your ultimate hope so you can actually endure suffering because you know what is coming. And so he calls on them to rejoice in the Lord at all times. Again, I will say rejoice. And that, that is what I say, I want to say right now that that's something that I think that we as Christians need to know how to do. And we need to realize that when we do it, we actually are then displaying our reasonableness. That if we can't rejoice now in the gospel, then what we were holding to before this happened was not actually the gospel. What we were holding on to was our comfort in life that were given to us. If we can lose all those things and still rejoice, it means actually our heart has been with the gospel. But if we can't lose those things and still believe in God, then all the while we were actually thinking that God owed us these kinds of things. And so one of the questions I want to ask right now is, can, can we rejoice right now? That's the question that um, I keep on asking myself. It's a question that my wife and I kind of continue to ask one another, and we've been asking it for a long time. So uh, as many of you know, and a lot of you guys have heard me, heard me talk about this, um, my wife and I have wrestled with the, the, the question of uh, suffering. How does it uh, work itself out into the Christian life? And it really hit us a, a couple of years ago. So we took in, um, we've got four kids, two of them are foster kids. We took in... Um, Two, two foster children to, to move from two to four kids. And I probably can't emphasize, emphasize enough like how much prayer went into this, like how we were so convinced this was the right thing to do. Uh, we, and we still are, but we were so convinced it was the right thing to do. We did so much time talking to people who, who had either adopted or were foster kids. We spent time prayer. I had accountability from, um, from my colleagues, from my, uh, from my 
from John, who's also my colleague, also my, my, my pastor, from my, my friends, like people could have spoken into, into our lives and kind of everything about it was like green light. This is what you're called to do. And yet within like, I don't know, two days, maybe two, two seconds, I realized that this was the hardest and most difficult thing I had ever done. Um, and the way that we were like wrestling with it was like, did we just ruin our lives? Um, because it just seemed as if everything, all the comfort, all the, the relaxation, all the kind of things that um, even our dreams about what life is going to look like seemed and taking them in were just kind of stripped away. We are so much busier, so much more stressed. Uh, our, we were sinning. It felt like way more often. And so we had to kind of ask like, can we actually rejoice um, in that situation? Is it possible uh, to, to do that? And that's very similar to what I think I keep on going through right now. So like all of you, my wife and I have been thrust into a situation that's confusing, that's unnerving, and that is scary. And it's almost certainly going to get worse almost certainly is going to get worse. It's probable that many of us, if you haven't already gone through this, many of us are gonna lose our jobs. We're gonna lose or exhaust our savings, experience depression because of the isolation. We're gonna get sick with COVID-19 and some will die. You may have already been going through some of these things. We are all vulnerable and susceptible to the dramatic effects this virus is having on our society. And not only is it going to get worse, it's like, how long is this going to last for? Like, and, and, and I think it, it I think there, there might be a tendency to be like, oh, it'll be okay and stuff like that. But I, I actually want to talk about saying like, how long will we have to do the social distancing thing? How long we spend almost all of our time in our houses, condos, or, or, or apartments? How long will we see each other almost exclusively through a computer screen? or if you're lucky, through the window of an apartment, which is like, wow, we really did it. Look at us, we're looking at each other from the street. How long will we ache and cry out to the Lord to protect our loved ones who are more susceptible to COVID-19's horrible effects? How long will working families or single parents be able to homeschool their children? Not long, I don't think. How long can those who live alone be so isolated? How long can our medical workers continue to pour out their souls to help care for the rest of us? And how long can we endure any of these things with a good or godly attitude? I obviously, I don't know how long it's going to go for. But as I was trying to say, I do believe that this time of loss, fear, and anxiety can actually be something we can rejoice in because it can drive us to the Lord. And in that, I think that we can rejoice. So, one of the things I think that was interesting to me to start thinking about was honestly, before this global pandemic, I think most of us would have answered questions concerning how long by analyzing our own capacity to endure. Okay. So I was like, how long could you do this? You'd be like, well, how long could I make myself do that? So our answer was not concerning how long we'd be forced to endure a difficult situation but how long we believe we'd be capable of enduring a, di a difficult situation, which is essentially because we had so much freedom in our, in our lives. We had so many things kind of given to us that we were, very few of us were like forced into a situation which you had no escape. 
The COVID-19 has changed that for the entire society, essentially. We have been thrust into a situation where our capacity is no longer the deciding factor. Our answers to the questions I listed before are almost entirely dependent on how long the situation goes on for, not about how strong you think you are. So as we already said, not only do we not know how long it's going to last, the situation will likely get worse. Can we actually rejoice in that? It seems impossible. As my kids keep on telling me, I don't want to do that. Just annoying. I don't want to be in this situation. I don't want to be stuck in this house for weeks or even months. I don't want my office to be what I'm sitting in right now, which just so you guys know, is our kitchen that's upstairs that we're supposed to rip out and turn into an office. But a week before the lockdown happened, my dishwasher on the first floor broke and my parents just happened to be visiting us. So we took the dishwasher out from up here and moved it downstairs to the main kitchen. And so now I have a space where the dishwasher used to be. That's where my desk is. Very nice. How long will we have to deal with this? I don't, I don't want to be stuck in this house for months. I want life to be what it was. I want to wake up knowing what to do. I want to know what my day, what my week, what it's going to look like. I want to look to the future with the same confidence I once did. I want to be confident that my kids are going to get the education that they should. I want to be confident that finances are secure, that vacations are set, that events, that events are going to happen. I want to know that my parents are going to be okay and not in danger if they just simply go to the store. That I don't, I think especially for, for my dad, that makes me really worried. I, I, I want my wife to go to work. My wife's a nurse um, at UIC, which is kind of a, becoming a more COVID-19 focused hospital. I want her to go to work without me having to kind of have this underlying fear that she's going to catch the virus and be among the younger people who are critically affected by it. I want to know that the congregation of Holy Trinity is healthy. I want to know how to help and care for people in the congregation when they feel alone and scared. And when I don't have these things, I don't feel like rejoicing. I feel like despairing. Even just kind of reading that list, it's like feeling anxiety growing. But perhaps, perhaps because I want those things and now they're taken away, perhaps that's exactly why I should rejoice right now. Because this situation, I think, is revealing to me just like taking in the kids did, it's revealing to me my lack of dependence on God and the ways in which I still struggle to grasp the amazing realities of what the gospel gives to me. Because why do I not want those things to happen? My daughter is about to come up here, just so you know. Why do I not want those things to happen? Because in reality, when life is, is normal, I feel secure. I find security, I find my safety, I find my foundation, my rock, through my life looking a certain way rather than through God's love and care for me. So you, you, you think about Psalm 46, which we, we've read a number of times. Uh, I'm sure some of you have read that, but the Lord is my, is my rock and my fortress a very present help in trouble. I'm just going to read it. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, 
I mean, I read those things all the time, but do I actually believe that? Well, this is showing me in so many ways I don't. I find my rock, my strength, my foundation through life looking a certain way rather than through God's love and care for me. So don't, don't get me wrong. I know I need God. I know I need the gospel. I need Jesus. And I think I've known that for a long time. I need the power of the Holy Spirit within me. But this situation is revealing to me how often I think it is God plus innumerable other things that I need. And perhaps, perhaps that's true for you as well. So in Philippians 4, 12 through 13, a passage that is often uh, misquoted, but Paul says this, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So usually when I hear that, that verse quoted, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's usually like a reference to sports and we can tackle someone because Jesus. Um, but while I suppose that's maybe true, because Jesus created you, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the ability to go through absolutely everything, to have everything that it seems the world could give you and to have everything ripped away that it seems the world could take away from you. He's like, I'm fine. He's a Jesus. It's obvious to me that I've not yet learned this secret like Paul. I've not yet learned deeply enough that through Jesus, I could face any situation and be fine because of the gospel. Yet it's because of this truth that I should rejoice right now. So there, there are kind of two ways that this could go for me. I feel like this situation could drive me to fear and despair, to frustration and anger and away from the Lord. Or I could let the fear and despair, the anger and frustration drive me more and more to the Lord. I'm certainly not going to stay the same. Therefore, I should rejoice because I believe that the Lord is offering me and each one of us an opportunity to know him better. I'm not saying, just so you know, I'm not saying this is the reason for the coronavirus pandemic. I do not presume to know the intricacies of the will of our omniscient and loving God. I'm simply saying that right now we have a great opportunity to truly learn what it means to not have our security and dependence rest in our situation or in our health, but in God's care and provision for us. We have an opportunity to learn how to always rejoice in the Lord. That's not easy to hear, and it's even harder to do. But we have an opportunity to set our hope more and more on Jesus. And that is better than not suffering. I want, I want you to think about that. It is better to suffer and have your hope set on Jesus than to not suffer and set your hope on something else. I'm going to say that again. It is better to suffer and have your hope set on Jesus than to not suffer and set your hope on something else. Now, what, what I've said could be offensive to some of you because my suffering does not come close to comparing with some of yours. And you're right. What I've been through, what I'm going through is not nearly as awful as to what so many of you have had to endure. But I'm trying to say this not as someone who believes that they're an, ex they're an authority in the experience of suffering, but as someone who has sought to grasp how suffering is used by God for our good and his glory. So Paul came to see suffering and loss 
not as a hindrance to his faith in God, but as something to embrace. He came to see suffering as something that should cause us to lament and mourn definitely. He did mourn. He did lament. He wanted things to be different, but also as something in which we should rejoice. For as he says in Romans 3, 5, sorry, in, in Romans 5, 3 through 5, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And again, I want you to think about the logic of what he's saying there. Why do we rejoice in our suffering? Well, because suffering down the road, what it does is it gives you hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame, because the hope is real, because it's rooted in something that's true. The suffering will pass. That hope will not fade. And so, yes, we, we suffer, but we should rejoice because it gives us a hope in something that's real that will be given to us. Or, or as he says in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, Paul was saying that he did that purposely. He gave up things because he knew those things stood in the way. I think it's possible for us to say right now that for many of us, God has graciously ripped things away from us in order to, in order to show us that those things are rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean there's not incredible amounts of pain and difficulty with this. And I think it's next week we're going to talk about grieving. So I'm not saying, hey, you should be happy. That is different. That's, that's different than what I'm saying here. I'm saying that we should actually rejoice in some ways because it's like we have an opportunity to know God more, to know what the gospel has to give us. So this is something that should cause us to lament and cry to the Lord. Right now, we should be doing that. And yet I would say that even now, perhaps especially now, we should rejoice. Let us rejoice in this difficulty knowing that it can draw us to the Lord. It can lead us to fully place our hope in God it can lead us to find our security, not in the important yet fickle things we depend on, but in the sure foundation of the Lord that is better than anything else. So I do think right now it's possible for us to rejoice in the Lord. I think we can rejoice in the Lord always. As Paul would say, again, I say rejoice. Okay, so that's what um, I've got for you. Uh, Usually we start a bit later, so usually that goes like right up until almost one. But we actually do have some time right now. If you guys have questions, you have thoughts, uh, pushback, I, 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 would love, I would love to hear that. There's a, I mean, honestly, doing a talk like that, I, or just even writing something like that, I have like more anxiety with that than usually other things. And I'm like, this is a bit touchy. Um, but yeah, what, what, are, what are some thoughts you guys have or pushback or anything like that? Well, maybe can you talk about like what would you say rejoicing looks like? Like, what does that what does that actually look like when someone is saying, "Right now, I'm rejoicing in the Lord." Um, yeah, I I, I think it it kind of depends, uh, and and I because I think I'm I'm somewhat cautious to to put a strict face to it, mainly because I think in some ways it will look different depending on your personality. Um, depending on your culture, all those kind of things. So there, 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 there could be different things. Um, 
I, I, I certainly think there is a sense of uh, that. So while, while, again, I feel like there is such a place, if you think about the Psalms, most of them, not all, almost all of the lament Psalms end with this kind of swing back to what is true. They often begin with this recognition of like, you Lord love me. And then this long thing in the middle where it's like, why am I going through all this? Like, help me please. And then this kind of kick back to the end. I think in some ways that that is what it would look like for some of us right now who are going through immense amount of things, who are really grieving. But the rejoicing is actually this constant recognition of who God is, what he has done. It doesn't mean that you don't get sad and cry or something like that, but it's actually say, and yet I have this, and yet I have this. And so it may be something that you are, you are just doing in the midst of tears. At other times, I think it could look like actually celebrating, like being like, this is amazing. This is, this, this is incredible. I think for, in some ways, Paul was in prison, and yet he'll say at the beginning of, uh, near the, in the first chapter of Philippians, He'll say, what then? That in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, uh, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. And yes, I will rejoice. And so I think that that actually is him being like, he's excited. He's like, yes, the, the, the things are, are pushing forward. So I think we can celebrate. Um, I think we, could, we should, when we're at home doing stuff by ourselves or with our families, it should not just kind of be super somber nonstop. Like we should be smiling and, and, um, and someone's just trying to embrace this moment. And I think that's that'd be the, the, the other thing that I would say is that in some ways rejoicing right now is, is to actually embrace what you are going through rather than uh, just try to get through it. So I, I, I've thought about actually like writing some stuff on this uh, as well, but I think a lot of us, we spend a lot of time, well, I know this, this isn't, I don't just think this, I know this is true. We spend a lot of time wondering what God is calling us to do. Is he calling me to have this job? Is he calling me to, to be with this person? Is he calling me to live in this city? All those kind of things. We spend tons of time wondering what God is going to do. Generally speaking, how I think God responds to those prayers, about, about those kind of things, is silence. I think it's very rare that he clearly indicates something to you like this is exactly what you're supposed to do. And actually, I think that's a gracious thing that he does because he does that in such a way that you need to trust him. If God is actually working through your life, but in ways that are a little bit more obscure, that means you have to make decisions and just trust that God actually loves you and is caring for you. So he caused those, those kind of things to happen. However, what I would say right now is this is probably the clearest indication you've ever had in your life that what you're doing right now is exactly what you have to do. This is what God wants you to do. He wants you in your apartment or in your house stuck there. He wants you in this situation. It might be hard, but that's where he's put you. You want to know how, how I know that? Because the mayor and the governor are telling you to stay inside. Because churches aren't meeting. Because this is exactly what we have to do. Your boss is telling you to stay there. So what you're going through right now, it seems that every single thing in society is telling us this is what we're supposed to be going through. So what does that mean? I think in some ways it'd be like, we need to embrace this. We need to embrace fully what, what is going on and say, okay, this is hard, but I'm going to actually live into this situation rather than just grit my teeth and get through it. So one of the things that Paul says in Philippians, which 
is perhaps the most convicting verse in the Bible is do all things without grumbling or complaining that you may shine as lights in the midst of this world. Oh my goodness. Like, don't you wish you would have said like, do most things, but you know, there's a couple that are pretty freaking annoying and you can grumble and complain about those. That's what I said, do all things. And what's his point is to say, so you might shine as a light. So generally speaking, I think most people in our world right now are grumbling and complaining. I think rejoicing the Lord is not to grumble and complain about this. It's to embrace it. It's the situation that we're in. Say, I'm not going to complain about this. I'm not going to grumble. I'm not going to grit my teeth or something like that. I'm going to keep on singing praises to God. I'm going to do what I can. Now, I, I say all these things, guys, and please do not think that I, that I feel at all as if I'm doing this. Essentially, what I'm going to probably do after this talk is feel really guilty for being hypocritical because this is what's going on for our family is, is really hard. Um, both my wife and I are working essentially full-time. We've got four kids at home and we're trying to homeschool them and they're absolutely nuts. Uh, it's really stressful. It's really frustrating. Um, so yeah, I, I often oscillate between, I think, trying to praise God, trying to sit, sing to him, praying with the congregation, trying to care for the kids and having fun with them, and then being frustrated and yelling at the kids and complaining to God about why are we in this situation. And I think I can actually stand back and say, okay, thank you, God, for this. Thank you that you've put me in this situation. Thank you that I actually am being reminded of that I need the gospel and not myself or not my life, my life to look a, a specific way. So that's not a very concrete answer, and maybe it wasn't very helpful, but hopefully that kind of danced around enough to somewhat get close. Other questions, thoughts? Thank you, Gerald, for sharing. This is really powerful stuff. Um, I thought that one of the ways we could rejoice in life would be to meditate on the word of God day and night um, just so that we could, you know, produce fruits. Um, and that requires work, you know, that requires fellowship through community group and virtual meetings like this. So, um, you know, God wants us to abide in him so that, you know, all the fruits can follow from that. So I, I, I thought that would be one practical way we could do, just immerse ourselves in fellowships like this and meditating on the word of God day and night. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. I think that's, that's, that's really helpful. And I think um, I it's a that help, helpful thing to say, Dave, because uh, some of the stuff that I've read and Sully and I have, have talked about this and, and been frustrated by some things that have been posted where like certain churches aren't meeting uh, right now that they don't do any online things because they're like, you know, we don't want to replace the Sunday service. That's, and we don't want people to think that this is a replacement for it. Um, and I kind of understand the theological point, but in some ways I'm like, we're not trying to replace it. We're just trying to say, okay, like what, this is what we've got. This is all we've got. So let's just do it. And let's just try to have fun with it. Um, no, I don't think that what Holy Trinity is doing on Sundays is close to as awesome as it is to be together on a Sunday morning. And yet we can still have fun and smile and say, like, thank God for this and listen to the sermon and invest in those kind of things. And so, yeah, I think it certainly is a time to invest in these kind of things, invest in the word. Notice, I'm sure more of us have a lot more time. 
I think in theory, prior to read the Bible than we used to. Um, and so it's like, yeah, then, so spend time doing it. Uh, rejoice in the Lord in that kind of way. Go into his word, dive into it, indwell the true story in the, of the world. Other thoughts, questions? Verses from Romans. Can you hear me? Yep, yep, yep. The, the verses from Romans. That um, hope does not bring us to shame. I don't remember exactly what was before it. Yeah, so uh, it's Romans. It's Romans five. So I'll 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 start at the beginning of the chapter. Um, it's what I read started in verse three, but I'll start at the beginning of the chapter. So, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. I think what's helpful, um, thanks, Melissa. Is that Melissa who did that? Yeah, so on top of it. Look at that being really tech savvy. What's, what's helpful about like seeing it in the context of verses one through two as well is suffering, if you like, it just seems really out of, out of left field that all of a sudden he just introduces suffering into it. But what he's, all, he's actually introducing, so, so Romans, this, this is Paul's most, um, it's his longest letter. It's his most complete letter, it seems, in terms of what he's seeking to do in explaining the gospel. The whole letter is Paul's basically massive exposition of what the whole world has been all about and how the gospel is the centerpiece of all those things. How do you fit all the scriptures together? How does Abraham fit in? How does circumcision fit in? How does Israel fit in? He's doing all those kinds of things in Romans. Okay. Every single part is massive. What he's been doing basically though, in, in chapters one through four is explaining how the gospel is for all people and that God has always been leading forward to this ever since really from the beginning of time and, and how Abraham fits in. Okay. So he's talking about salvation, salvation of, of humankind. Um, so that's what his concluding statements are in the first two verses. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is for all people. That's how, that's how you justify it. It's, it's through faith. Through him, through Jesus, we've also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Essentially, what he's saying there is we rejoice in the hope of actually God's glory being manifested through us once again. We rejoice in the hope of one day us being restored to what we were, we were always meant to be. Okay? That's what we rejoice in. We rejoice that we look forward to that, to that full restoration. But then, he, but then he just inserts this in. But for us, that's important because what he's saying is our understanding of the gospel should actually then change the way we live our lives and how we think about suffering. So it's not just that we rejoice in a hope that's coming. We actually rejoice in hard things that happen to us now because it roots us more fully in that hope that's coming. Does that make sense? So... So, that, so that's what it says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that, and then he goes down this road, suffering leads to that hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out, poured out into us. We, th this is actually something that is true. So again, this is why it's that, that idea of, if we are people who truly believe the gospel, 
If we really think, guys, that Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and he is coming again, then when our world kind of seems to fall apart and all these things are stripped away and we have to more fully, in order to be sane, rest our hope in Jesus, we should rejoice in those difficult things that are happening because it's a reminding us of what is true and what we need to do. Does it mean we don't lament and we don't mourn and we don't cry out to God for things to be different? I do not want the world to be in this situation. So I'm not saying we're glad that things kind of suck right now. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we rejoice right now because when you pull things away and all you have left is Jesus, what you have left is better. It's the best thing. And it's what we've always should have had our hopes set on in, in the first place. And so when you pull back this stuff that maybe we were holding on to and we need to learn, wow, I was relying on that, I can rejoice because God is exposing my idolatries to me in such a gracious way that he's like, but guess what? I've given you Jesus. I've given you what you actually need. Paul did it purposely. Jesus called on us to do those kinds of things. God has actually put us, and he, and he often does in individual situations. He just happened to throw, throw us all into the same bucket this time. He's like, let's just put the whole dang world in this bucket. And so I think in some ways the church should be rejoicing right now. We get to actually fix our eyes on Jesus. We have to. Uh, Cliff has a question and then we'll probably wrap up after that. So thanks everybody who's still sticking around. If you need to leave, go for it. But uh, Cliff, yeah. Um, I think Joe, you just answered the question I had. It was more of an observation. And, and Melissa, your question about what does rejoicing look like now? And I think what I just heard, and let me test this, that rejoicing is not because I just got fired or I'm worried about my parents or my wife or just the many things one could worry about, but it is knowing that this is part of the sanctification process, if you will, that God is putting us through. You know, an example that I read recently was uh, supposedly Michelangelo was asked years ago, you know, how did you, uh, how were you able to produce the David, uh, if you're familiar with that, which is an idealized picture of what David looks like? And the answer was, well, David was, in, uh, was encased in this marble, and I just kept chipping away until I got him. And so I think in a way what we're going through now is the chipping process. Yeah. 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 And, and I think, um, I think that's, that's exactly right. And again, so my, my computer may run out of battery. So I'm really sorry about that. But again, I'm not saying that this is necessarily the reason God gave us the coronavirus. I don't know why God has done this. Okay. So don't hear me saying like, I know the ultimate reason it's so that we would know Jesus. I, I'm not trying to pretend to know the, the will of God. And yet I do know an implication of what's happening right now is that this can take place that yeah, like Michelangelo was asked, how did you get David? He said, I just removed all the, the things that weren't David. And that's what, that's what he got. And that's often what God does to us. So Paul actually says at one point in Philippians, at the end of chapter one of Philippians, he says, he says, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his name. What's so fascinating is the word granted is the word grace. It's charis, which means it has been undeservedly given to you the privilege to suffer. And in so many ways, while Paul is talking about persecution there, I, I, know, I know he's talking about that. I think you can expand a little bit to talk about that. Sometimes God 
by his grace, because he loves us like a father, actually pulls things away from us because he loves us. He prunes us, as, as Jesus will talk about. He'll prune us. Why? So that we might know him better. And that's why right now I think we just have to be able to look at our situation, lament, mourn, cry out to God, and say, and if, but if you need to keep on going, if you need to take more away from me so that I would know you better, then do it. So Paul is saying it's way better to have the things you think you need stripped away from you and you need to know Jesus than to keep those things and not know Jesus. So Paul will say, indeed, I counted everything as lost for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I think that's one thing that is so hard to learn because Paul would throw in so many things in there. He, he talks about the fact that he's, that he's a Jew. He's the tribe of Benjamin his accomplishments, that he was blameless. And he would say, I count those things as lost, which means that he said, it's not that he thought those things were inherently bad. He knew that for himself, he, could, he would end up relying on them in order to make himself right or in order to make himself better or in order to think I'm more secure now. So he's like, no, what I actually need to do is actually to count those things as, as not significant compared to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. So for myself, Am I willing to say, you know what, my, my job is a loss compared to knowing Jesus, that I would rather not have a job and know Jesus than have a job and not know him? Can I say those kinds of things? I'd rather not have financial security. I'd rather not have my, my success, my family, my friends, and know Jesus. It doesn't mean I'm going to go kill my, my family or something like that. But to realize that actually all those things, if I rely on them, they're getting in the way. This is why Jesus says extreme things like he who does not hate his father and his brother and his sister and his mother can't give you my follower. It's not because he actually thinks you need to hate them. What he's saying is if those things stand in your way, you are missing out on the ultimate gift that God has given to you. And right now, I think that in many ways, what's going on, not that this is actually the, the, the reason, but what is happening is God has actually pulled things away from us. And so we have an opportunity to remind ourselves that I don't actually need that. What I need is Jesus Christ and him crucified, him risen from the dead. If that is true, then as I, I talked about last time we did, we did lunch and learn, then like it says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I do not lack. There's nothing you could add to me if I have Jesus, which means there's also nothing you could take away from me. I have it all in Jesus Christ. Then, and that I think we should rejoice. I think that's a fitting ending. Thanks, Joel. Um, thanks so much, everybody, for, for jumping in and uh, joining us in our virtual lunch here. Um, we will be back next week, next Tuesday. The same link will work. I'll send out information. But yeah, really, um, really good to see everybody. And uh, we will be praying for you as